Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan, and I'm joined by Mickey Turner and Ari Lillianwall. I think nice. I got it. That's pretty good. Yeah, pretty that, good there. That was clean. That was clean? Good. Okay. So uh, we're sitting here on a Friday, and we now have a few days between us and the impressively, I think, hastily, impressively, hastily uh, scheduled parade uh and we're gonna kind of talk about the parade i don't i realize that's not necessarily a uh a, a hot take issue <laughs> but i i don't know i i feel like it's it's worth discussing and we'll kind of get into some of this other news that's broken over the last few days because there has been kind of a avalanche of at least rumors uh about what's going on with various players but let's start off with the parade uh both of you were there i was there as well what were your impressions? Uh, we'll start with you, Mickey. Uh, yeah, I mean, it it wasn't as good as the first one, uh, or maybe as memorable. I guess that's probably that's the a best good way, way to put it. it. I think. Um, you know, I enjoyed the parade for what it was. There were a couple of things that were uh, well. One thing that was unfortunate is that they didn't allow the crowd to really march with the parade like they did last time. I no. mean, I suppose there were reasons for that. Uh, mainly related to not being sued for uh, mass injuries. Uh, but that was a little bit disappointing um, that basically only media was allowed to kind of participate, except for that group of people in the front who I don't know who they were exactly. Um, I think they were representatives from Rant. I mean, because they had some supporter group, like not ECS supporter group, but like other supporter group flags. So I assume... Like there, I saw a North End Faithful. I want to say I saw some Gorilla FC people there. So maybe they were supporters. I don't. I don't know. I yeah. I I did not know. Uh, I know. Obviously, ECS was at the parade itself or the rally. I guess the rally. Yeah. Word. Uh, and you know, so they got they got the good seats there. Uh, they put out a statement which basically said due to logistics uh, and not being able to, you know, actually walk in the parade, they had decided just to go on and head to the rally. Uh, again, I, I found that just, you know, disappointing a little bit, but the parade itself I found, I thought was very good. Uh, they had a good attendance at Westlake where they started um, decent, you know, as they walked along the parade path, uh, pretty good crowd there as well. And uh, Schmetzer was out there schmoozing as he as he is wont to do. So that was cool. Yeah, got to take a lot of pictures. People got to take a lot of pictures, uh, stuff like that. So uh, again, I thought uh, the parade itself was good, uh, just not as memorable. But that was never going to be the case because it wasn't the first one. Ari, do you have any anything to any other impressions you had from this? Yeah. Uh... I mean, I, yeah, I thought it was cool. Uh, like Mickey said, uh, maybe not quite the uh, spectacle as the first one, but uh, just that's just because of the novelty of it the first time happening. I don't know if you're ever going to really equal that, but uh, I was impressed by the turnout. You know, when it started at uh, Westlake Center uh, as it was approaching noon, I was like, wow, the turnout seems like substantially less than 2016. But then uh, as it was really getting started, it filled in around there. And then uh, as you walk down the street, there was people pretty much all the way down uh, until a lot like, of the, the same people, I think, following along. But yeah, it thinned out the last few blocks there. But there, I mean, there's still a lot of people on the street, a lot of people at Seattle Center. So that was good. Uh, uh, the only thing that I, I thought was unfortunate is you know, obviously, uh, there's going to be some guys missing with the with their national team stuff. So it, there was really a, a lot of guys, though. And, uh, you know, I don't know everything that goes into this or what the circumstances were necessarily. But it's like, don't you think they could have given Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan like a day to yeah. just so they could go? It seems kind of ridiculous to me that uh, Jordan Morris – wouldn't be there, you know, it's as the hometown guy, like, and, and all that. Um, I, I feel like they maybe could have thrown him a bone there and just, just let him go out a day later. Maybe, I don't, you know, like I said, I don't know the schedule. So maybe there was some reason why that actually wasn't feasible and, you know, not to diminish the thriving state of U.S. soccer right now, but I, <laughs> I feel like they could have given him a day. Um, but 
no other other than that it was uh it was a cool event and i feel like um the turnout was was pretty solid um and yeah that was my only the only real drawback was probably just feeling like there could have been or should have been more guys there that weren't there but at the same time it was also kind of cool to see uh the guys on the team that maybe don't get the recognition or the glory. Justin uh, Dillon ends up getting to play a yeah, starring Justin role Dillon, in the, in the uh, Yeah, Justin Dillon had a big role, but there were guys there that uh, played key roles that maybe went overlooked that really got to be at the center of it uh, with all the guys that are missing. Like you have guys like Sada Abdul-Salam and Harry Ship. Like those are two guys that are actually were pretty important parts of the team this year. Absolutely. Uh, so it was cool to get to see them soak in that moment and take a big part in it and all that. Um, I don't know. Should, uh, should we get into Russell Wilson takes? Cause they're I, like, Oh I don't, man, I don't want to, I don't want to Russell Wilson takes. I don't want to open that can, can of worms, but uh, I took some heat on, on Twitter for my Russell Wilson takes. So what were, well, why don't you repeat those Russell Wilson takes and we can flame you for that. Uh, well, I, you know, I just saw a lot of people uh, basically in distress over the fact that he was holding the trophy. Uh, and well, there is a couple things with that. First, seemed uh, it seemed like there was genuine confusion as to like why he was holding the trophy, which I really like. You know, even if you don't think he should have been, like that's just what's gonna happen. You know, like a big part of the reason they wanted him involved was so was because of his profile and his you know popularity. So like obviously they're gonna be having him hold it, and they're gonna they're gonna have him be part of that. Uh, but I guess the the main thing is like, you know, there's some other people who are like, oh, he talked about the Seahawks and his speech too much. Why did he do that? You know, maybe he could have uh, talked about the Seahawks a little less. But I guess my larger point is like, you know, if the team you root for just won MLS Cup, like, are you really bugging out because like the part owner – MVP candidate, Super Bowl winning, most popular guy in the city quarterback is like there and hyped up. Repping your squad. Yeah, repping the squad. Like that, you should be happy about that. And you should also, I don't, you know, you guys can speak to this better than me because you've been following the team for a lot longer than me. But I know if there was a team that I had come up rooting for my, my whole life and just wanted to see them win an MLS Cup at home, the the last thing I would care about on earth probably if I actually got to see that come to fruition is the MVP candidate star quarterback hoisting the trophy around. I don't know. That's just well, my take on it. If no, uh, I mean, if I if if I if hey if I'm uh, if you think if anyone thinks I'm off base on that, you know, feel free to hit me up on Twitter about it or whatever. <laughs> but like I, a bunch of people uh, already I did. Just, I would just point out briefly that it, uh, sure he was holding the trophy along with uh, Ciara along with Adrian, along with the PR people at the front office, along with all the fans who were out at the displays this afternoon where the trophy was being uh, uh, displayed out. So I don't understand that criticism at all. Pretty much everyone who is in the vicinity of the trophy is going to, in some way, display it for photos uh, and for posterity. So it just seems to me to be a lot of... Uh, trying to find something to complain about it. Exactly. And I, I, I had one guy uh, respond to me on Twitter who was like, you know, I think every member of the staff in, in front office should have been holding the trophy before Russell Wilson. And like, I don't think wealth should make you more important than anyone else. And it's like, I, like, I get the sentiment, but that what's the, what's the implication there that they're going to have every single person who works at the office, get up on the stage and do a session with the truck. That would take forever. It's not logistically feasible. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, I mean, I kind of get the, I guess I get the point, which is, Russell Wilson and like Mac, they were saying the same thing about Macklemore at the, after the game where, you know, he was on the field and he carried the trophy and, and people kind of didn't like that either. And I get it. Like they're both relatively new to the, to the family. I'm putting family in quotes. Well, I would put, put out that Russell Wilson uh, was repping Sounders gear at the last MLS cup back in 2016. Yeah. I mean, I, right. No. And I, I think that that's a fair point that Russell Wilson has, like, I think he's kind of got his Sounders street cred for lack of a better term. And like the Sounders were the 
like he did i don't think he like chose to fly in uh first thing in the morning on monday or come in last night after playing monday night what was it, monday night football and go straight to like i doubt the first thing he wanted to do if it was all totally up to him is show up at a parade like i'm sure there was some like hey why don't you come out like i'm sure the sounders wanted him there they and by the way, this, he was, like, the only guy on either bus, frankly, who was, like, into, like, raising the trophy. And I think that there was a lot – because there weren't a bunch of players who were in the game, I think there was a lot – like, understandably, the Sounders that were there were a little sheepish about, like, being – you know, like, Saad Abdul-Salam, he played the part well. Uh, Brian Meredith kind of got into it well. But for the most part, a lot of those guys, like Will Bruin looked like he was straight up embarrassed to come out on stage because he's like, hey, I didn't really do anything here, guys. And I, and I get it. He also almost fell off the bus. <laughs> yeah. he, I, and I should say, I, don't, I, I think he was embarrassed about that a little bit. Like he's making, like I think he was like, oh, Will Bruin almost dropped the trophy. But the bus driver basically knocked him off the bus. <laughs> Yeah, it was a harrowing moment. I was. Standing, it really was. Yeah, that was. I was like right below them, and and you know he insisted he wasn't very close to falling, but sure looked to me like it was a little bit of a scary situation. Um, but yeah, I mean there was there was twelve guys missing from the Sounders, eleven of whom played in the game on on Sunday. Yeah, what was it? Three start, three starters, or three three people who played? Three people who played. Three. They all were all starters, as it turned out. But three people who played were at the were at the parade. So, and one of them was Kim Kihi, and Kim Kihi is not exactly uh, the guy to lead the cheers. Yeah. Luckily, yeah. Stephen Fry was there, and luckily Nicholas Ladero. Because if they hadn't been there, I don't know what would happen. Because they were like they were playing the part well, I, I think, and I give them credit for doing what they could. And I think, and I. I, I feel bad because, like, the first draft of the story I wrote was, like, kind of negative and, like, oh, it wasn't nearly as much fun as, as 2016. And then I realized, like, everyone that went seemed like they had a good time. And so I don't want to get – and it was, like, if you, you eliminate 2016 from the equation, 2016 was a great parade. And I was just watching some videos of that parade, and it was, it was wild. Yeah. Uh, you know, the fans were mobbing the the, the trolleys, and, and clearly, I think there was a decision made, maybe by SPD, to not allow that to happen because it probably was kind of a liability issue. Uh, and so, it just like just taking that element out of it by itself was destined to bring the the atmosphere down, at least as far as the parade goes. And and then when you you toss in that there was a bunch of players missing. I think it was a more sober parade, frankly. Uh, Like in 2016 guys were drinking, like, like visibly drinking. And I almost feel like passing beers into the, like, I don't know if that really happened, (laughs) but it seemed that way that they were like passing beers into the crowd. And so it was just kind of a wild event. And this was not a wild event. This was a much more, we've been here before. Yeah. And yeah, we've been here before. And uh, I think a lot of people got their celebrating out uh, after the game, uh, yeah. which is not something, as someone pointed this out, I can't remember who it was. Uh, but yeah, uh, people were, the game was over by 3 o'clock, 3.30. People were out in the streets and uh, in the bars celebrating until the wee hours. And so I think people felt like they got the catharsis of, of celebrating out of the way. So there may, be, there may have been... Uh, not insignificant amount of people who were like, uh, it's Tuesday. I got to go to work. I had the day off yesterday. Uh, I will, I'm just going to skip out on the parade because I already got my fun in on the weekend. So I think that had something to do with it as well. Yeah. And in addition to 2016 being the first time they won the cup, they also won it on the road. So I feel like that year, uh, the celebration was like in big part, you know, them bringing it back. And it was the first time everyone could, congregate to celebrate yeah. it Whereas when you win it at home uh you have seventy thousand people in the building already celebrating it uh immediately after they win it and then like mickey said uh keeping the party going uh right after the game so, so that was probably part of it too mickey i think of the three of us i'm guessing you were the only one who has any sense of what was going on outside the stadium after the game what was your I, I know it wasn't immediately after the game, but what was your what was the scene like after the game on uh, on Sunday? 
Well, I went to go meet some friends uh, at a bar after I was down to get a few quotes for post-game stuff. Um, but I didn't have to write anything, so I was able to leave a little bit early. Uh, and the scene was – it was pretty festive uh, for the most part. I'm not sure what time you guys got out. Uh, I didn't and, and even – I left free. downtown as soon as I got – I mean, I was I, – I went back home. Oh, you, you, bu- you bugged out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say – there were people out for many hours after what time to get, like I said, what time to get over like maybe three thirty or so. Yeah. Uh, I didn't get home until like nine o'clock and there were still people out, uh, you know, still people out oh, in Pioneer wow. square. Uh, and it obviously wasn't as full as it was uh, right afterwards, but the, you know, it, the festivities were still well and truly going for many hours after the game. Um, you know, I was, you know, the Seahawks are never going to host a Super Bowl, most likely, and be able to celebrate. So we'll never have the context for that kind of scene. Uh, and so this is as close as the city has gotten to a proper celebration of a championship, uh, you know, in a not only a one-off, which this was, but even in you know a five or seven-game series in another, in another, uh, another scenario, uh, you know, I can't – has it ever – you know, the Sonics in the 70s, uh, maybe. Well, I guess – I, I guess the, the, yeah, storm the Storm won at had. home in 2004. And yeah, but yeah. before that, you got to go back to, like, 1918 when the Seattle Metropolitans sure, won, yeah. So, won yeah, there's the just, uh, NHL title. Yeah, there's just no context for any other sports, really, um, for that, you know, excepting the Storm. Um, and so, it's just difficult to say, you know, how it would have been different uh, for, for those other sports. Uh, obviously, the Seahawks parade in 2013, I think, was orders of magnitude different. Than, oh, there's 700,000 people at that. Yeah, it's just you know, it, 10, 10, it was like 10x basically, or even more than that, 15x. Even the 2016 Sounders, which I think was estimated like 40,000, is that right? Um, I think that was the number that I heard thrown around. Yeah, right and so you know, that's 20x uh, for the Seahawks parade. Uh, and so, you know, it's just, you know, kind of comparing ap- apples to uh, a bushel of apples, I guess it was a word. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I will say that if they were to, hopefully they do this again, but to me, what might make more sense is doing more like a march to the match where they do a big rally at, or they, they kind of do a march at, like they start something at Occidental and come into the stadium and then they have like a celebration at the stadium. I don't know, maybe that doesn't feel as Maybe that doesn't feel big enough. Maybe. Uh, well, uh, that's what kind of what the Seahawks did, basically, isn't it? Uh, they just did the parade uh, and they uh, led into the stadium. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I think that's what they did. But I, your point's well taken. I think if they were to win again, uh, knock on wood, uh, in you know the reasonably near future, then they probably would think about making some type of modification. I mean, there, you know, you know, there's a sort of you're uh, measuring if it's not broke, don't fix it versus diminishing returns. Right. You know, and again, this is all first world problems, uh, winning Very first world problem. Uh, yeah. Winning super uh, MLS cups at home, um, or just winning MLS cups for that matter. So, uh, but uh, you know, I think there, there might be something to trying to fix or uh, change things up, uh, going forward if they're lucky enough to, to bring another one home here. So one of the things that kind of dovetails from this is, you know, there is, there were, like I said, there was 12 players missing. Uh, basically, everyone, the only one who, who wasn't out on international duty was Victor Rodriguez. He apparently uh, went home to Spain. And it now looks like he may not, he may not come back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he told uh, AS.com that he's going to try to stay in – basically, he's going to try to find a, a, a gig in Spain. Um, I would imagine he'll be able to, he'll be able to do that. Uh, he, he, had, he had a contract option for 2020 with the Sounders. I think it's pretty doubtful that even in a, even in a context of him dying to come back, it would have been like a $1.5 million option. Seems unlikely he was, he was coming back at that number. Yeah. Yeah. What I'd heard, and this is not official reporting or anything like that is, uh, that he, had, uh, the team had already been informed that he did not wish to return, and that was probably based on the partially on the fact that they, you know, just uh, as a matter of you know deductive reasoning, that they told him they weren't going to exercise his option. I'm sure he would have been probably happy to come back at 1.5 million dollars, uh, unless he was dead set on leaving, which is 
you know, certainly possible. But yeah, so, you know, we've likely seen the last of Victor Rodriguez in a Sounders capacity. Uh, and it, I, again, it's not overly surprising just based on, uh, you know, his, his issues, uh, injury issues. You know, there was a misdiagnosis, if I recall correctly, which kind of set things back and he couldn't get healthy. And then there was you know, the last year. trainers, uh, you know, changing of the uh, trainers as well. So, uh, you know, it, it's really unfortunate because you could just see that how dynamic he is and was for the team over the course of his time here. Uh, he you know, was probably arguably their, their second best talented quote unquote player behind, behind Nico or I guess Raul now um, you, you maybe you put him third, but it was just, you know, he just couldn't stay healthy. Um, but when he was on the field, uh, it was just, it's, it was incredible how much he changed things. Uh, you know, he was in large part responsible for their quick start to the season. And, and you can see what he did in the game against uh, Toronto. Yeah, well, if it's, uh, if it's a situation where uh, he was looking to go back to Spain anyway, I guess that, that makes it better or, you know, at least easier uh, than what the Sounders would have had to do if he was really hoping and wishing to come back and they didn't want to exercise the option because of all the injury issues that you mentioned. Uh, but I guess overall, when, uh, when you look at his, his time here, um, I just wish we would have gotten to, to see him play more. It's unfortunate that the injuries kept him off the field for most of this year because during that, uh, during that hot start to the season, um, he really was a big part of that and why they looked so good attacking at that time. And, at, you know, it's so long ago now, but they were basically banging in goals at will when they had that front four uh, starting and healthy every week. And it, they just never really got – that lineup on the field the entire season because he was in and out with injuries. And then when he was on the field, someone else was gone or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Until the was, last 30 minutes of MLS cup. Right. And well, that's, it was, it's cool to see him go out as the MLS cup MVP, assuming of course that uh, he is out. We don't hundred percent know that yet, but uh, he, uh, it was cool to see him go out like that just because, you know, like as frustrated as the fans got, with how much time he missed this year. I mean, he was more frustrated than anybody. Like, you could yeah. tell. And he, like, it was obvious how badly uh, he wanted to be out there and how, how much he was he was frustrated personally by how everything went. So, to get to come on an MLS Cup and really change the game and score that goal that really, uh, that really set the Sounders off and uh, just showed everyone there what what he can do and the impact he can make on, on a game. That was cool to see. And, you know, uh, it's just like if you if you actually flesh out his numbers from when he played. Uh, they're good. He, they're very good. Like he was, a, he was a guy where if he had played 20, even 26 to 28 games, he probably would have been up at 10 and 10. So. Yeah, I mean, he, he as it was, he – like I actually crunched the numbers today. He was – had a – he had 0.63 goals and assists per 90 minutes, which equates to, you know, if you play a 3,000 minute season, that's going to be right around 10 goals and 10 assists, uh, which, you know, he, he was, he was plenty. Of, I don't think production per minute played was the issue at all with him. Like he, no. he, he was as good as advertised. I mean, I think he was better than advertised, frankly. He lived up when he was on the field, he absolutely lived up to his contract and even you know, as a DP. And I, I was, I was really kind of hoping they'd find a way to bring him back, even if it wasn't to assume that he'd be a starter, because he's, that's exactly the kind of player you need to be able to bring off the bench to win CONCACAF Champions League is guys that can change the game that have that kind of cult, like that they, like they, they are cultured players. They understand the stakes that you're playing for. And it's a great first world problem to have to, maybe not have room for a guy like that in your starting lineup. But if you can, if you can game plan for bringing a Victor Rodriguez off the bench, you're, I mean, that's, that's, those are Liga Emeki's uh, problems. Yeah. And you know, him, him leaving, if he does, uh, that really hurts the Sounders for CONCACAF Champions League because I agree. Totally agree. Like they'll, you know, they'll sign somebody and they'll bring somebody else in 
but oh, it takes maybe. time to mesh and establish that chemistry that he had with uh, with Ladero and the other attackers and all that. Uh, and so to think that you're going to bring in a new guy, no matter how pedigreed, and he's going to be able to slot right in there and equal what Victor Rodriguez could give you uh, just off the kind of abbreviated preseason you get before CONCACAF Champions League starts, like that's probably not going to happen. So, I mean, that if they wanted to bring him back, that would have been a big consideration. I think they would have had in mind, but uh I mean, from from the sound of it, it sounds like his mind's in in Spain. So uh, yeah, but uh, you know, one thing I wanted to say about how he got MLS Cup MVP is, you know, that this wasn't a situation where sometimes in the, in that situation you get it like just for scoring a goal or just for scoring an important goal. But I but that wasn't this situation at all. Like he his presence on the field outside of the goal completely changed the game. So there's no doubt for me that. He was the MVP of that game. Like, I was talking to a couple people who said, uh, you know, they collected the votes before Rui Diaz scored, and if uh, if Rui Diaz had scored earlier, maybe he gets it. But I, I think Victor Rodriguez is the right choice 100% just because of the all-around impact that he had on the game when he was on the field. He totally changed the dynamic of the game, and he got rewarded for that goal, but that wasn't the only impact that he had. Yeah, I think all things being equal, if they could get him on a reasonable contract, it would have been great. But – I just got the sense that he was never fully settled here. And I think that's some of the reporting bears that out. So if they, you know, even if he was inclined to come back uh, or was, if, if money was the overriding factor, um, I'm, I'm just not sure that they, they could have offered him enough to, to offset his, his lack of being you know fully settled here. Um, and you know, he, he left right after MLS cup, essentially. Um, he's got, you know, uh, uh, by all accounts, some, uh, health issues that he's dealing with, with, with his, with his daughter. And so I think, uh, as Jeremiah said, I think is his heart is, was set or is set to get back to Spain if at all possible. Um, I guess it's possible he comes back if he gets no nibbles, uh, in in you know La Liga um, or even in the second division, um, but it just seems to be you know kind of wishful thinking for you know anybody who was hoping to get him back at this point. I think uh, people should uh, take his his last moments with the team um, as fantastic as they were, and and just kind of you know uh, use that as uh, the best memories that you have of Victor Rodriguez because. I just think uh, it's it's probably the last you'll see of him. Well, and I think it becomes it also just becomes more complicated for him to come back because the Sounders essentially have to operate under the auspice that he's not coming back, and they can't just leave us. You know, he was even if they bring him in, a, even if they slot him in at like half of what he was due to make, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Like, presumably, they're going to be looking for another player to fill that that roster spot in that salary cap space. And there's going to probably be more salary cap room next season. And, and if the players union gets their way, it's going to be more flexible, but still that's, you know, the Sounders have to operate on the assumption that they aren't going to get him back. And so they need to, like, they would be committing, you know, professional malfeasance essentially if they don't, try to fill that spot before they know for sure whether he even wants to come back. So I wouldn't count on that at this point. Uh, it seems like both parties have kind of, uh, you know, parted ways essentially. Uh, but we, we, we did get a piece of good news. Gustav Svensson told uh, the Swedish media that he's back, that he is, uh, he's already essentially signed his extension or whatever it was, but he was talking like it's a done deal and that he's, he's going to be back. And uh, I believe Nico Moreno actually was able to independently confirm that. So uh, that's good news. And I, for honestly, that's who I voted for uh, man of the match in MLS Cup or MLS cup MVP. Uh, I thought he was outstanding in that game. He had, uh, he just filled up the, the stat sheet both defensively. And then he had a couple assists as well. Uh, and hit, if they can get another year out of Svensson at anything like the level that he was at this year, that's a, that's a huge positive move. Yeah, I'm definitely. interested to see what uh, what number uh, he was at and how many years. Uh, uh, you know, assume I assume it's one more year. Uh, 
I assume that the Sounders just exercised an option. Um, his contract status has always been a little wonky. Yes, it has. Coming back, coming from Spain, there were reports that uh, Spain was taking up a big chunk of his China. deal. Uh, China, excuse me. And, uh, yeah, so that is no longer the case. So he's just operating, we, we think, under the Sounders contract. Uh, but, you know, I guess who knows for sure, uh, given MLS's uh, uh, lack of transparency on these things. But awesome. Yeah, it's great news to see him back for another year. Um, you know, worst case, he's not a full-time starter anymore. If he, if he kind of falls uh, falls down or they can move him back to center back. So he's got some versatility that allows you to uh, to make use of his, of his talents for another year. Uh, so, yeah, that's definitely good news all around. It'll be interesting to see what they do at the position. Uh, because, you know, Roldan and Svensson were the first choice, had been the first choice pairing for a while now, but they just spent a fair amount of money on Emmanuel Ciccini, uh, who, I mean, they're paying him like he should be starting. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. I mean, something you can do there is, uh, you know, play it Ciccini, uh, Svensson and move Roldan up. Um, but I don't think that's, you know. I don't know if I like that. Yeah, I mean it. They they've done it to to positive results, uh, but I just I just think that's moving Roldan out of his best position. Um, so I don't I don't think that that's the like the long term plan or anything. Uh, but either way, you know I I feel like Sacchini with the money he's making, they're gonna feel compelled to start him. He didn't really like break his way into the rotation basically at all at the end of the season, but he was he was brand new and just getting acclimated. So we'll see how that pans out but either way that's uh that's another one of those first world problems because um now you now there's three guys that you can start there and you do have champions league to contend with so you got to be deep at every single position and everyone knows you got to be able to rotate in and out uh during the mls season two um but that's that's a good uh it's a good little position sub positional subplot to pay attention to uh when preseason gets started and presumably yeah. you got to find yeah. Yeah. You're going to want to find minutes for Danny Leva as well in that same kind of group. Yeah. And, you know, we always talk about these questions during the off season and in the preseason as if everyone's going to be healthy and available right. at all times. And then the season starts and it immediately just becomes a thing where, where, all right, well, you're starting this week by necessity. You're starting next week by necessity. And uh, that's basically how it's going to be all season. So uh yeah, I always kind of forget that that's just how it works, ends out up working out almost immediately. Uh, but, you know, for the off season and the preseason, I'm going to talk about it in absolutes, like uh, <laughs> they're going to be starting the same people every single week. Well, funny, you know, the funny thing is that the Sunners got as healthy as, as was reasonably possible at the end of the year, which is not something they were used to over the last several when they lost, you know, Dempsey and Morris, um, Ozzy in the line, you know, Marshall, Rodan, uh, they had some really terrible luck, um, in the postseason. So, um, it's, uh, you know, it was nice to see them get fully healthy down the stretch. Um, and you know, if they were healthy to start the season, it was just the middle part that was, a that was a, was a problem. Well, and I think that it ended up being an interesting way that worked out. You know, I, I found this stat that the Sounders basically went 15-1-2 and two in the postseason and regular season when Rui Diaz, Ladero, and Morris started together, which is not – like, I think it, it, there's two things to take away from that. One, they were really good when those three all started, but that they only started 18 games together, uh, which I think kind of illustrates how, you know, 18 out of 38 games uh, – and so that kind of illustrates the problems that they had this year in terms of staying healthy and just having players available from international duty or whatever else. But, you know, Garth had kept beating this drum of saying, well, you know, if we can get everyone together, I think we got one of the best teams in the league. And, and I think there was this inclination to kind of like poo poo that as if like that, of course, that's what he's going to say. But in the end, that is kind of how it worked out when they had everyone available or close to everyone available they stood toe to toe with the best teams in the league uh, and they, and they won, they won a lot. Yeah. It's interesting to think about because, you know, one of the other uh, uh, national narratives that seems to be taking place, shout out my guy, uh, Matt Doyle, 
uh, is that, you know, the Sounders are, are a great team because they won MLS Cup and they deserve to win MLS Cup, but they're not going to go down or be remembered as one of the great, like, regular season MLS teams like uh, Atlanta United or Toronto FC or LAFC. Uh, because that's what we all know people talk about is great regular season teams in the... In well, the- like, you know, I this, this is why I, I used to be a pretty big supporter shield truther, like... You know, MLS Cup is what's remembered, and everyone knows that. But the the true measure of who has the best, who had the best season, and who had the best team is probably the Supporters Shield. And I think that is uh, that it's conventional wisdom, and it and it makes sense. But you have to take into account how these MLS seasons typically go. And right. for the Sounders, this was an example of a year where they basically didn't have their lineup together their first choice lineup for pretty much the whole season after the first like six games, every time, like you said, just gave the stats for every time they did, they were posting points at an incredibly dominant clip. So if you, if the narrative is going to be, well, they didn't have a great regular season, so they can't be considered in this pantheon of great MLS regular season teams. I get that based on looking at their point total and their record during the regular season, but I I think you could just as easily turn around and say, well, look at the record they had when they actually had their lineup, and then they used that exact lineup to dominate in the playoffs and win MLS Cup. And if you take that into account, you know, maybe you should be talking about them as one of those great teams. But to just look at it and say, well, they only had this record and this point total during the regular season – and uh, and so therefore they are like don't they don't deserve to be in that pantheon, like it kind it's kind of discounting uh, just how how MLS MLS is like a uniquely difficult league to manage with the travel and there's always injuries and the especially with Seattle this year there was the crazy amount of international absences they had that game against the Rapids where they were missing uh, eleven guys you know and they were playing lineups like that so I don't know it's that. It's the narrative that uh, the national pundits, who if you, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I always have a field day uh, uh, running their narratives. But like, if, I I don't I don't know if the narrative the narrative is that simple there. I I would totally agree, and I think that if you want to say that the Sounders didn't have one of the great regular seasons, I think that's objectively yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, but I think you also have to acknowledge that that they assembled an impressive collection of talent. And that it was among the best, the most talented teams that's been assembled. And I think that you can, you can look at a million different ways of, of slicing that data. But I think you, know, you look at someone like Raul Rui Diaz, and this is a guy who didn't, uh, didn't play as much as the Sounders probably would have liked. I think he only made 24 appearances. And his 11 goals don't necessarily uh, jump off the page to you as say like, oh, this guy is dominant. But you look at, he had four goals and four assists in the in the yeah. playoffs. That's what, like right up there with the great postseason performances of all time. And you know, and you look at his his the his whole career with the Sounders, which is now you know barely you know the equivalent of like a full season of play. The guy's got like twenty seven goals and eight assists. That's a monster season. Yeah, that was uh, an incredible signing by Garth. Uh, you know arguably one of his top two or three signings. I'd probably put the Jordan Morris extension up there in two at this point. Oh man. How smart does uh, that look now? Can you yeah. imagine if the Sounders were like trying to compete for his uh, signature right now, as opposed to back this time last year? But anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just to go back to Rui Diaz, uh, just briefly, it's uh, yeah, just an incredible job scouting. I mean, maybe it wasn't that hard to scout the leading league MX core uh, at Morelia. Uh but they still had to, you know, get him here and pull the trigger on that on that trade. And given the uh, issues that our neighbors to the south are having with their striker uh, core from Mexico, yeah, exactly. Uh, like, let's not yeah. undersell how yeah. easy it is to sign players from uh, from foreign players. I mean, like, you know, there was this whole thing of how much time and energy the Timbers put into not just signing uh, Fernandez, but also Lucas Milano. They spent something like. 16 million dollars between those two players and they're going to end up with like a complete half season of productive play out of those two yeah well they might get some of their money back at least but that that's to be determined i can't i can't wait to uh keep tabs on all those developments from you mickey that's uh, the legal analysis is going to be top notch Okay, so you break it up. do you have any uh quick fire legal analysis of their case 
Uh, the only thing, you know, they have literally filed nothing at this point on the athletic story. And, you know, for, I guess we should tell for those who uh, may not know, uh, the Timbers uh, got uh, terminated Brian Fernandez's contract. And according to the athletic, they're preparing to sue Nacoxa, which is his uh, former team, to get some of the transfer fee back. Which uh, I, you may know this more than uh, better than I do, but I think it was in the eight to ten million dollar range. Yeah, it was. It was in a. It was. It was a record signing for the Timbers. It was, I think, more than the Sounders paid for Rui Diaz. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just to, uh, to finish up, uh, uh, Fernandez had some well documented uh, issues with drugs and and other issues. Uh, while he was in the Mexican league, I think it was, he was uh, suspended for like a year or thereabouts. Um, and by all accounts, the Timbers have put or put in some clauses in his, uh, in the transfer fee uh, with Nacoxa that if, if his uh, substance abuse issues uh, resurfaced, they'd be able to get some of that, some of that back. There are some uh, also some claims that Nacoxa downplayed some of the issues he was having to get that, that transfer over the line. That's all speculation at this point, but you know, it, I I don't think the issue is necessarily that they did or did not put the clause in there. I'm sure they did. It's mostly going to be getting that money back from um, a league where money issues are absolutely notorious. Um, and so you can, this is a case that could go stretch on for several years um, and without getting a resolution. And even when they get a resolution, uh, they will may have trouble getting that money back from the Coxa. Now this would ultimately go to like FIFA or the court of arbitration for sport. Uh, and they would order that money to be paid. So it's not as if, even if they win, the Coxa is going to be able to run away and hide. Um, you know, fortunately for MLS and the Timbers, they would have some other recourses and FIFA can swing a pretty large hammer when they want to. Uh, so that's not something they're going to want to mess with. So should be interesting, but we're at the start of this and they haven't even filed a lawsuit yet. So, uh, but uh, interesting times uh, for our neighbors to the South. I mean, and not to get too into this, but I think the thing that strikes me about it is you did all this scouting of this player. You supposedly put all these resources into finding this guy and you would think some pretty basic, you know, PI type stuff would turn up that, Maybe he has some – I mean, the guy got suspended for spitting on a fan, like, a couple weeks before the transfer was completed. It's not like he was yeah. this choir boy who this is – you know, even his past drug use aside, you know, you – I certainly am happy to believe that he could put that behind him. But, like, he wasn't exactly a, uh, a prime citizen – before, like in the in like the immediately before the transfer, but I don't want to I don't want to focus too much on on that. Yeah, uh, the the Lots other red flags though. Right, some obviously yeah. red flags. I guess the other uh, the last bit, you know, we did hear about Roman Torres. I think that's a little bit more in the in the gray area, and we don't need to necessarily get into that. But the other player who we who seemed to indicate that he's leaving is Brad Smith. Uh, his loan is up. He, the Sounders had managed to extend his loan at midseason to get him through the end of the year. But he sounds like, in his mind at least, he's going back to Bournemouth and he's going to try to get on, you know, make it into the squad there. Uh, and then I, 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 this is a little bit more reading between the lines, but to me it sounds like maybe he'd like to stay in England regardless of whether it's at Bournemouth or at maybe a championship level team. Uh, but Brad Smith, who knows, maybe he comes back at some point, but at least I, my expectation is at the beginning of the season, he's not going to be with the Sounders. Yeah. And <clears throat> I mean, it seems like that was to be expected. It seemed like everyone kind of felt like once they got the loan extended, it was just through the end of the season. And then he was going to try and go back to England uh, to bring him back. Cause on the loan, Bournemouth was covering how much he was half salary? his salary. I mean, he yeah. was, so he Which was 600,000. So a million two he's at. Right. right, so to bring him back when if uh, if Bournemouth's not covering half his salary, he's going to be getting paid DP money, and you're you're just probably never going to see that for a for a left back. So I, I don't think just uh, financially, it was ever really in the cards for him to come back. Um, which you know the Sounders have good depth there. You know maybe they sell new who, but it seems like Jovan Jones will be back. Uh, so I don't, I, don't, I don't think that one is like a huge hit to the depth. But he was, uh, he was a really dynamic part of this team. As good as Joven Jones was as an attacking left back in 
in 16 and I, he, he had more assists that year than Brad Smith did this year. I'm pretty, yeah, definitely. He set yeah. the record for assists. Yeah, the 11, I mean, he had 11 assists. He had a great 2017. He had 11 assists in the regular season. I think he had. But the, the stuff Brad Smith can do physically is like at a different level. Just yes. his speed and his crossing ability. Uh, just really, really good. So it's a loss for sure, but not one that I don't think that they can withstand. I mean, they were just, uh, they had just stupid riches at that position this year. Yeah. You're probably not going to, most years you're probably not going to have three left backs of that caliber. Uh, but I'll be interested to see what happens with Nuhu because it seems like uh, the idea has been to sell him for a while and they haven't done it or haven't been able to do it or whatever. I mean, remember when he tweeted, uh, like, off to Marseille, heart emojis or whatever, and then didn't, it didn't get sold. So, uh, well, I, I, the best I can tell, the room, the strongest and most intriguing rumors about Nuhu sale have been probably not from the teams that are rumored yeah. to buy. Yes, <laughs> I've heard the same things Jeremiah's heard. Uh, and you know, just on Brad Smith, um, it's just a, it was a classic win-win, uh, win-win-win. Uh, Bournemouth got someone to cover uh, his. Uh, you know, his loan and cover it, or at least a portion of his loan. He got to have uh, a year and a half to kind of find his form because, you know, he couldn't get any time with first Liverpool and then Bournemouth. Um, and then the Sounders obviously got a very good left back who uh, was able to provide something um, on top of even what Joven Jones, um, who was gone um, and then returned um, and knew who could provide. So, it was a great it, it, it was probably always going to end this way because the economics simply didn't work as uh, Ari as you as you mentioned they were just never going to spend 1.2 million dollars on a left back especially when you've got new who and um, now Joven Jones it's just not something that is uh, feasible in MLS uh, so uh, you know it's it's tough to see him go but I think everyone can just uh, you know, I think relish the fact that the Sounders made a, a very solid short-term transaction that paid off. Um, and, you know, everyone just kind of walks away uh, with a good experience uh, behind them. Yeah, it, it really paid off. And I'll be interested to see when he first came here on loan, one of the things Garth said was, you know, this is a market that we've been interested in tapping into for a while and that we've been talking about tapping into for a while. And this is the first time we were trying it out. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's something maybe they'll uh, try it again at a, at a different position uh, if, if it calls for it, because I mean, if you look at how it worked out, I mean, you could see his quality. This is a EPL quality player. You know, he came up in Liverpool's Academy, right. And, uh, he uh, had a lot of injury issues at Bournemouth and, but it's not like they weren't necessarily high on his talent. He just hadn't been able to get on the field and then he wasn't able to break into their rotation when he was healthy. And so they figured it was better to loan him out so he could just actually get minutes. And he got those minutes and uh, played well enough where I feel like he, uh, he showed that he, he has the potential to, to go back over there and, and thrive. So uh, it, it, like you said, I think that's a win-win in, in that respect because the Sounders got to have an EPL quality left back on their on their roster for however however long they did. And uh, he really got to use it as a springboard to show what he can do when he's actually getting minutes. So um, it's got something – Got back into the national team. Yeah, and yeah, totally got back into the Australia picture. So uh, I'll be interested to see if that's something they try and replicate because – it sounded like I remember at the time they were saying, you know, we're trying this out, and if and if it works out, we're, uh, we're it's quite possible we'll try and do it again. So the the last thing I wanted to talk about, and I'm a little reluctant to get too into this because by the time people are listening, the list will most likely be out. Uh, but Sounder Hart did a did our own expansion list. We ask readers to engage in that and. Uh, 1,500 responses we got, which was crazy. Oh. Uh, but, yeah, we we basically put together a list of 12 players we think the Sounders should, I guess, or will. I don't know if, quite what, if we were asking people to 
uh, like put themselves in Garth's shoes. But without getting into specifics, who to you, and I think some of the news recently would have also influenced our, like for instance, we had, everyone had Victor Rodriguez being protected. I don't know that there's any point in protecting a player who is at least saying he's going back to Spain. Uh, so that would have freed up a spot. But uh, do you, I don't know, do you guys have any thoughts on who might be most in danger of, of being selected in this expansion draft? Well, uh, so. Okay. Oh, go ahead. Go, Dari. Go, Dari. Okay. Well, uh, when I was first thinking about this, uh, the, the big names that popped into my mind uh, were Will Bruin and Harry Ship. Just because, you know, if, if I'm an expansion team trying to build from scratch and I'm looking for proven MLS vets and proven MLS players, those are two guys right there that uh, are, are both of those things. And, uh, you know, you need, you need guys like that uh, on, on any MLS team, but especially when you're building. But I don't mean – I don't know. Like, uh, both of them make I mean, at this money. point – they do make decent amount of money, but at this point, it's a relative, like relative to what players are making now. Like, I mean, first of all, I just want to say Will Bruin can't be picked because that would really put a crimp in my podcast with him. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got to Nashville and Miami that. Right, exactly. I'll have to make, I'll be working the phones if that, if that transpires. But um, I do agree. I mean, I think Harry Ship, you know, Quietly, five goals and two, two assists, three assists, five and three. Yeah, five and three. He only it played like not four, a lot of minutes. No, he only played fourteen hundred minutes, but he only played in two of the centers' last nine games. Which yeah, is, yeah. Uh, pretty clearly outside of Brian Schmetzer's preferred rotation at this point. And that's happened um, to him a couple of times. It has happened to him a couple of times, and I would imagine that if you're if I'm Harry Ship, whatever you think of the Sounders organization you are too young to kind of accept that you are just along for the ride. And you're frankly too good to be taking that attitude. And I suspect he would, even if the Sounders, I don't think the Sounders would be protecting him anyway, but that looks to me like one of the players who is most likely to be unprotected and be intriguing to Nashville or yeah, yeah, Nashville specifically. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough to say with just looking at the previous uh, expansion drafts. Um, it doesn't seem like teams, uh, expansion teams, are too keen on those price points for players, um, unless they're young and have a lot of upside. Maybe uh, it it just doesn't seem like they pick those players. So no, you're uh, right. I could see them passing on ship and Bruin, especially, I mean, Bruin's kind of a different case because he's obviously coming off a major injury and he does, he's going to be up around three, three fifty in salary next year, which is definitely a price point that teams typically try to stay away from. Yeah. Um, So uh, my, my thought is that they will, they will absolutely protect new who that would, that seems to be, That'd be crazy to me to not protect him. Yeah, unless they're gonna. No, have no, they, to ha- they have to. They have to. They, my, the projection I saw on uh, the humble website that I work for had him unprotected, which is like bonkers. That's crazy. Yeah, that's bonkers because the, his value on the transfer market is is pretty high, and uh, his, the, his salary is so low. Like, there's literally no way. He's, yeah, he's making like seventy thousand yeah. dollars, and he is potentially like. A million, like million. Yeah. Yeah. a million dollars. Yeah. Like, if you transfer him for a million dollars, you get full allocation. You get the full right. seven. It's ins- yeah. That's there's there's no way. Money away. Jordy, um, Delem, Jordy DeLem's a guy. That's uh, in the other he one. He could yeah. absolutely be taken. 100%, I think. Uh, he's the one, uh, you know, he's, he's – I would not like to see him t- – I would like to see him protected, actually, um, just because I, I like what he brings. Even if he's not a starter, you need those players anyway. And he's – you know, I think he's slightly – he's a replacement level, but uh, a, a replacement level that you need uh, on your team. So, um, I would – if it would up to me, just as a cold, hard, calculated decision, I would certainly leave Smith unprotected, Rodriguez unprotected. Uh, you probably could gamble on uh, Jones maybe, only because his salary is very high. Um, but, again, if you're losing Smith – 
then you do need two, you need two left backs and you've got two ready-made ones in Jones and Nuhu. Uh, and so it, you're risking it, especially, especially if they do end up trying to sell Nuhu if they get a million dollar offer. So uh, that's a risky one. But I, I think Dellum's definitely a good shout as long with, uh, uh, well, I forgot the other one, uh, but uh, Jones uh, is, is definitely one you could, you could probably risk, but uh, you probably a uh, team may may opt to to take him, maybe. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I think Dellum is almost so attractive that you protect him and you make a gamble of un, not protecting maybe a Will Bruin or a Joven Jones. Uh, don't let Will know that I said that though, because uh, <laughs> well, I would be say uh, the only thing I'd say, for me. yeah. <laughs> uh, the only thing I'd say Dellum start retweeting all the. Right, I know people. I know. Uh oh, I should. What I just gave myself away. It's not that he's gonna listen. It's that people are gonna tell him to listen. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I'd say on Dellum is that he may be at the point where he's asking the team to let him go try. Yeah, somewhere kind of like like a Tyler Miller situation. He's twenty six now. He's he's got a bunch of experience. He may want to. He may say, "Look, I'd like to try to start somewhere," and the team may let him do that because he's not gonna start here, most likely. So that could be something where the team just says, "Okay, uh, you know, we'll let you, we'll let you go. We'll take the 50k of allocation, um, and just uh, you know, good luck." Yeah, I uh, it'll be very interesting. I you know, and, and I like I said, it's a little. I feel a little silly talking about this because by the time most of our listeners you know hear this, the list may be out. But uh, this it, it's a funny thing though because I feel like the same thing happened in 2016 where like halfway through the year I remember looking at the list of protected players and going like I don't know that the Sounders have 11 players that I want to protect and then it was oh we're gonna lose some one of these guys that I feel and I and I think like a few months ago there was like all these old like kind of old-ish players like a Kim Key and a Roman Torres and uh, you know, all these kind of veteran players that you would have said, like, yeah, I happily expose these guys to the expansion draft. And, and now it's, oh, no, we're going to, we might lose one of these guys. But, um, you know, Kim Kihi is another interesting one who I, everything, all the kind of the rumblings are that he wants to leave. But I don't know. I, I could kind of, like, I, I'm a little skeptical that the Sounders are going to go into an offseason where they have to replace, they absolutely have to find a starting caliber center back and if, and if they're going to let Torres go which seems possible I I really doubt they're going to pick up his option uh, yeah yeah I'm, I'm curious if there's obviously plenty of room between the 750 that he's presumably scheduled to make yeah. and whatever millionarios is offering which is definitely not seven hundred fifty thousand right. dollars. so right. it, I you know I, he's got Torres has a decent amount of leverage right now um but if let's say the Sounders decline his option, but want to renegotiate at like five hundred thousand, and Millionarios yeah. offers three fifty, is it worth him to lose one fifty just to say, well, I just I'm going to go back to uh, Colombia? And well, they really want me. Yeah, exactly. So woe is mean, me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I I'm, I'm curious. You know, I think the sound the Sounders and if they had a their brothers would like to have him back at a, you know, a lower TAM number. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think it's probably worth bringing them back, especially with champions CCL coming up. They need those guys. Yeah. Uh, so. It's, you know, you, you start taking a few, I mean, you don't have to take that many players away for it to be like, we're talking about champions league coming up in weeks, man. Two months. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like around the corner. Uh, oh, not quite two months. I guess it's more like, yeah, like three months, I guess. But nineteenth um, or, or something like that. And Garth even Garth even said that after the after MLS Cup, uh, like you know, w- winning the title and having Champions League coming up, that makes you more inclined to stay the course with some guys right. that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise. So I definitely think, uh, I mean, they're they're going to be thinking about that. They have to. You can't go into Champions League with, like, an overhauled roster. Not that it was going to be a complete overhaul anyway, but uh, you, you need at least a baseline level of pieces that have been together and know how to play together to have any shot at all. So I think that's definitely that, – that, that's it's on their minds. Like, you, they got Champions League 
real soon. And you got to have established chemistry going into that. Yeah. And, you know, center back is a place where you could, you could gamble on um, a player that may be getting a little bit long in the tooth too. So, um, you know, as far as, you know, bringing Torres back um, or Kim Kihi, who's not obviously nearly, uh, <laughs> nearly that old, but, you know, talking about Torres specifically, you're not necessarily risking someone falling off the proverbial cliff uh, after one year. And he, and, you know, Torres, to be fair, had a good end of the season after he came back from his suspension. So, um, you could probably risk, uh, you know, him coming back, even if you have to pay a little bit more than you, you would have previously liked. All right. Well, that's probably a good place to, uh, to call it. Um, my wife just got home. So, uh, that's another good reason to, to call it, but, uh, thanks for, for listening. Uh, I'm Jeremiah Shan, uh, signing off for Ari Lillian wall and Mickey Turner. This is the Sunrise podcast and, uh, we'll see you next time.